Welcome to Michael Hoffman's Revisionist History, where we put the pedal to the metal when it comes to uncovering the forbidden and the suppressed. Hello and welcome to part two of Twilight Language. I'm Michael Hoffman and today's broadcast is based on my book Twilight Language published by Independent History and Research. You can obtain it at our website, revisionisthistory.org. Almost every weeknight, Tucker Carlson on Fox News pours forth a deluge of revelations about criminal politics in high places. He does so to an audience in the millions. Many more millions form the audience for shocking revelations online, on podcasts and social media like Twitter. This would have been impossible 25 years ago when three television networks and a handful of legacy newspapers on the East and West Coasts managed almost all opinion in the United States. These developments have been permitted because the time is right for them to manifest. In our dispensation, the deeply programmed American people cannot engage meaningfully with these revelations other than to experience them as a thrill, an adrenaline rush, a fantastic show, and a spectacle. The revelations at which we now have a front row seat were not divulged in the past because they would have resulted in the arrest, prosecution, conviction, and punishment of the conspirators. In 2023, even after making allowance for a certain amount of vote fraud this past November election, politicians who approve of the illegal immigration invasion and of men who are female impersonators being granted legal status as women, as well as the ruinous inflationary growth of the federal leviathan and national debt, are approved by the voters as evidenced by the votes last November of majorities in states such as Michigan and Pennsylvania, which were largely regarded as red or working-class states. How can this be? It is due to a type of psychological warfare degenerating the mind, spirit, reason, and willpower of the people. Alchemical processing again? Well, let's be specific. Let's revisit the thesis of our book, Secret Societies and Psychological Warfare. The objective of serial ritual murders is not only sacrifice of innocence to the dark powers or the chaos forces. It is psychodrama. The year 2017 witnessed a play in Las Vegas called the Route 91 Harvest Massacre. The role of the lone nut was unknowingly acted by a patsy, Stephen Paddock, who had neither the motive nor the means to perpetrate the mass murder, a fact that is as stunningly obvious to one and all as the theater of the macabre that took place on May 24, 2022, in Uvalde, Texas, the scene of the mass murder of schoolchildren, which was enabled by the police. Before 2022, who would imagine that such a depraved, despicable child sacrifice on the part of America's police would be possible? 
Regarding the Las Vegas massacre, the FBI has thus far issued a five-page report. Five pages. By so doing, they are telling us, point blank, they are engaged in a cover-up and don't care what we think about it. In their eyes, we the people are little more than no-account Kelepot. That's spelled K-E-L-I-P-O-T. Kelepot. Husks. Empty shells. It was reported Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide while the surveillance cameras were turned off at the federal facility where he was held, and the two guards outside his cell just happened to be asleep. A story like that is not intended to be accepted as factual. It is a case of bragging by a powerful, domineering force that has no fear of retribution or any other type of punishment. The murder of the head of an international child molestation ring that implicated dozens of the world's politicians and plutocrats was necessary to protect those rich and powerful men and ensure Epstein's permanent silence. The cryptocracy does not like loose ends, but it does enjoy mocking the American people for the psychological warfare dividends such unpunished mockery pays. And this is not simple mockery, by the way. For maximum psychological humiliation, it is flamboyant mockery. When the media relates to us that Epstein committed suicide, we are being mocked. And deep in the substrata of our mentation, we know we are being mocked and that the authorities and the media of mass communication are laughing at us. And it kills us psychologically. It rots us. It also pays to have the murder of Epstein take place on William Barr's watch. William Barr was Donald Trump's so-called conservative pro-life Republican attorney general whose investigation of Epstein's death in a high-security federal jail was a worthless whitewash. The tension between the reality and the stupid cover story conveyed by officials and their mouthpiece media is soul-shriveling. The overlords are cognizant that we've been processed to the point of the negation of our faculties of reason and our powers of critical analysis. These God-given gifts have been reduced to a state of severe enervation. In Uvalde, Texas, where the kids were being shot down, the cops were out in the hall, chewing gum, procuring beverages, and chatting. The butcher was at work on the other side of the wall, a few yards away. But the show must go on. We, the audience at this previously unimaginably inhuman perversion, are stunned. As time passes, however, that's about the sum total of our entire response. And the cryptocracy anticipates our numb inertia, and their occult murder ceremonials have thus become even more brazen and less disguised. The Justice Department and Congress did not bother to engage in intensive investigations in Las Vegas or Uvalde. They should have spared no expense and stepped on any toes necessary to find the perpetrators at the top of these government-perpetrated killings. Instead, there is eerie indifference. 
As we speak with you today, Walmart, the U.S. retailing giant, is marketing a satanic t-shirt in the apparel section of its stores, along with t-shirts for Warner Brothers cartoon characters. The shirt has the words Hellfire Club printed in all uppercase letters above a drawing of a bestial demonic figure next to which is a long knife, a blade dripping blood. The Hellfire Club was an infamous satanic organization led by the 18th century Chancellor of the Exchequer, Sir Francis Dashwood. This satanic Hellfire Club t-shirt is connected to a fictional occult Netflix cable television program, indicative of the putrid underbelly of the pop culture capitalism that's rotting the mind and soul of America. The Hellfire Club installment of Netflix's Stranger Things television series debuted nationally three days after the Uvalde mass murder in Texas. No accusation of wrongdoing is here being leveled at Netflix in connection with any crime or illegal act. As I speak, the Hellfire Club t-shirt is being sold 80 miles north of the scene of the Moscow-Idaho murders of four college students who were butchered with a bloody knife. No accusation of wrongdoing is here being leveled at Walmart in connection with any crime or illegal act. What Walmart and Netflix are guilty of is being part of the society of the spectacle in which capitalism fetishizes, trivializes, and commercializes diabolic phenomenon. When the satanic becomes familiar and loses its power to shock, then our hypnotic condition is gauged as being toward the bottom of the alchemical negrito stage of decomposition. That's spelled N-I-G-R-E-D-O. Negrito has nothing to do with African people. It's a state of psychological breakdown and putrescence, one of the stages in the classical process of human alchemy launched by the cryptocracy in the 17th century under the auspices of the Rosicrucian Secret Society, which self-advertised as the liberal intelligentsia of their time. Detecting this process opens to us a universe of comprehension, such as grasping the $1.7 trillion spending bill enacted in Congress in December, which lavishes funds on border security for Lebanon while forbidding it for Texas. It vastly increases the FBI's budget after the agency pressured social media to censor Americans, concealed the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop, failed to adequately investigate the wave of attacks on pro-life counseling centers, raided the homes of Christians who committed the crime of singing psalms in abortuaries, and seized cell phones from Republican candidates for office. And then, 18 Republican senators voted in favor of this 4,155-page legislation, which awards almost $500 million in additional funds to the good old FBI. Clueless right-wingers describe this as insanity. It's insane. That's their dead-end mantra. They don't realize that what they're witnessing is not insane. It's the product of the science of mathematical calculation wedded to the art 
of twilight language, an infernal marriage which has created a pharaoh's cauldron in which we are not only immersed, we're doing nothing practical to extricate ourselves as we choose to follow conservative leaders who are only slightly less heavily processed than the masses themselves. The occultists who regard themselves as being among the intellectual avant-garde of the 21st century and who talk down to us and decide for us what we will read, see, and think have appropriated for themselves as successors to the neoplatonic hermetic Kabbalistic ideology that arose in the West beginning in Papal Florence in the 15th century, as detailed in our book, The Occult Renaissance Church of Rome which you can obtain from our website, revisionisthistory.org. They have appropriated to themselves the right to play God by genetically modifying the heart of pigs and implanting them in human beings, genetically modifying staple crops for human consumption, such as corn, and releasing into nature of genetically engineered trees into the forests of America after three years of field trials in the case of GMO chestnut trees. Those chestnut trees can have a lifespan of 200 years. There's no way a three-year study can determine what the blowback will be 10, 20, or 50 years from now after planting these genetically modified chestnut trees. There'll be no way to recall them if, as a result of their unnatural dissemination, they generate dangerous superviruses, super pests, or super weeds. Who cares, right? The main thing is that man must be allowed to play God and the consequences be damned. Make this earth hell on earth. That's the satanic mandate. The chestnut tree made by God and occurring naturally is a glorious bot botanical manifestation as detailed in the book titled The American Chestnut, written by Donald Edward Davis. The tree has been greatly reduced of late by disease and blight. Consequently, the U.S. government is now entertaining the idea of planting GMO chestnut trees in nature. Approval by the FDA and the EPA is pending. Whether or not final approval is bestowed, the fact that it was even seriously considered and taken this far is a sign of how far man has become his own arrogant god with imperious egotism, his theology. The conspiracy at the heart of this mess is the fact that conservationists have done impressive research work focused on finding wild chestnut trees that occur naturally and have survived the blight naturally, and they seek to plant the seed of those natural trees produced by God, which have the capacity to replenish and revive chestnut tree groves. In tandem with this are hybrid chestnut trees bred to withstand the threats posed by root rot and blight. And please don't conflate a hybrid plant or tree with a genetically modified one. A GMO species can never occur in nature. It is a forced, tortured, man-made creation imposed on nature. A hybrid employs the natural process of cross-pollination with women and men acting as partners with nature, not gods who are above it, imposing their puny, finite minds on the vast complexity of a natural world they have not begun to comprehend except at the most rudimentary infantile level. The evils of genetic modification are almost always presented in humanitarian terms of kindness and concern for the betterment of the world through the imposition of the will of man's human brain power upon nature, not in cooperation with it. 
Thus, for people who eat meat but profess to love animals and feel guilty that they are killed to furnish themselves a meal, we now have synthetic biology, providing imitation foods synthesized from animal cells in a laboratory. The Frankenstein meat industry wants this stuff described with an Orwellian euphemism, so-called cultivated meat, which tells the consumer nothing and conceals the laboratory origin of the goop that will be called poultry or beef. Once again, testing to determine the long-term effects of consuming this vat-grown laboratory product on human health do not exist. It has been rushed into production due to greed for profit and the more esoteric evil of the suzernity of human brain power over nature. Of course, the factory farms that produce meat for the fast food joints that litter the American landscape are indeed wicked, but the answer is not to produce something more wicked as its antithesis. Friends of ours operate a dairy and beef operation where the cows are treated like family. It is sad to report that many human beings are not afforded the care which the cows managed by our friends receive. Those cows live decent, free-range lives and then experience one bad day. I see no evil in livestock husbandry such as that, but of course it is not held aloft as the model to which farmers and ranchers should aspire. At this juncture you may ask, but what does this have to do with twilight language? And we answer, everything. Our work entails pattern detection. Discerning patterns is multidisciplinary and even multidimensional. It forms a holistic vision of the universe. Consider the imposition of the phrase cultivated meat on packaging to describe the contents of filth fabricated in a laboratory vat. Whatever occludes our thought processes constitutes an invasion of our mind, and it may be that the more prosaic the word or phrase, the more insidious it is because we associate the occult with a grand operation of sorcery and not with our kitchen. Alchemical negrito process of the decomposition of humanity depends upon the degeneration of our health because we cannot have the best mind and the highest faculty of reason and intuition when our bodily health is slowly being drained and deteriorated. The pharmaceutical industry almost always prefers a poison as a medicine rather than its natural equivalent in a jungle or forest with the obvious motive that corporations can't reap billions of dollars from medicines that God placed on this earth for our inexpensive use. We are told in the 21st century that we are the most advanced evolution of humanity ever to stride the planet, when in truth we are the most disconnected from reality. We are the most unnatural in recorded history. We are beginning to swallow the notion, which need not be accompanied by any editorial invectives or pejoratives on my part, that a human who possesses XY chromosomes is actually a human who possesses XX chromosomes. Let's not even make this into a case of male and female genitalia. Let's maintain our vision at the most fundamental level of indisputable biological reality. The subspecies of humans possessing XY chromosomes cannot be said to be a human possessing XX chromosomes. And yet, this is what we are being taught as truth, reality. It's not only a teaching, it's not only a doctrine. It is a dogma. 
which is not permitted to be doubted or even questioned. In other words, it's a religion, and in this case, one that has the powers of an inquisition to isolate, libel, impoverish, and silence heretics, all in the name of a brave new world of equality, inclusion, diversity, love, and enlightenment. Well, what has been the result? Are we now more joyful, healthy, enlightened, and serene? It is being reported that the U.S. military is having to drop its standards of recruitment. Only 23% of America's youth meet the fitness and health standards previously required to join our armed forces. The new standards permit persons afflicted with what is termed Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, to enlist. The military admits that it is having to recruit from a population that is increasingly ingesting pharmaceutical medication for behavioral and mental health challenges. Is it necessary to state that in many cases those alleged medicines exacerbate the conditions for which they have been prescribed? In his seminal book, 1984, George Orwell notes that if we don't possess the words for a thing or an act or an event, we cannot think about it. In our book, Twilight Language, available from revisionisthistory.org, we take the next step in exploring the words that drive our reactions at the delicately layered level of the nuances of subconscious mentation, which usurp free thought by manipulating Jungian archetypes, by forcing them into becoming the fixtures of neuro-linguistic programming. If that sounds to you like a mouthful, it is not intended to be deliberately complex. The problem facing us is that we too often regard any multisyllabic paragraph that is not condensed into bite-sized bits as over our heads or too deep, too abstruse. To which I say, your self-deprecation doesn't fool me. You're trying to escape the obligation to think at the level of magnitude to which your creator designed your mind. Stop selling yourself short. Get off the internet baggage train where through email, Instagram, Facebook, websites, a hundred different movies, documentaries, and image-heavy visual presentations are recommended by your friends and enemies, which mainly serve to further confirm your biases. People search the internet quite often to reinforce what they already passionately, zealously, fanatically believe, and woe unto those who contradict them. This happens among the left as well as the right. They search the internet for a visual imagery stream of consciousness that does their thinking for them. Stop, or as they say in Italy, basta. Read a book. Yes, read a book, and one that requires your maximum engagement, by which I mean to say your concentration, which among heavy YouTube and Rumble documentary-watching people has in many cases been severely atrophied. The alpha and omega of brain science and its obstruction is not found exclusively in citing and quoting Orwell, God bless him. If you have read 1984, particularly the Newspeak appendix, that is the beginning of your journey. Promise yourself you will stay off Netflix YouTube, and all the rest of the visual river for a month. 
and commence your apprenticeship in deep reading and thinking about reading and words with the Cambridge University prodigy F.R. Levis. His surname is spelled L-E-A-V-I-S, F.R. Levis, F period, R period, Levis. He was born in 1895 and died in 1978. Levis established the primacy of the text over the visual to which I will add the co-primacy of the hearing of the word via the medium of radio, podcasts, and recorded media such as CDs. My warrant for the latter is the Bible, the book of Romans, chapter 10, verse 17. I submit that it has been through reading the text and hearing of the word that human-scale civilization of the West arose and was sustained. And while cinema and television can be wonderful adjuncts of learning and the advancement of knowledge, they are incapable of training the mind to think and reason deeply and critically, at least in comparison with the text and the hearing of the word. Parenthetically, I would add that the theater is the text brought to life on the stage, such as Shakespeare most famously did at the appropriately named Globe Theater, and which the enemies of God enact in their psychodramas to opposite effect using the same tools. Movies and documentaries should be called by their proper names, motion pictures, and that is an altogether method of being instructed. Levis was taught by William Empson, E-M-P-S-O-N, William Empson, whose book Seven Types of Ambiguity was published in 1930. This was one of the best early manuals for examining the foundations of clear thought and avoiding the pitfalls of linguistic deceit. We are a sick people because the sources of vitality have been denied us. The door to that vitality runs through our digesting texts and hearing the word while we take notes. Hearing the word without taking notes costs us to lose the memory of 90% of what we hear. When we take notes during a talk, we retain the majority of it. With our reading, our comprehension is predicated on our knowledge of the meaning of words and our power of concentration and there is no mystery there. To develop that concentration that allows us to overcome misunderstanding, we must endeavor to concentrate on that which entails reading a paragraph until we grasp its meaning, or if that meaning still eludes us, conducting further research to determine the meaning. Yes, it's work. If you are bereft of a worth ethic, your life is impoverished and your spirit at enormous risk of psychological invasion by those who tempt you into believing they have performed the work of understanding for you. Many books offer pre-digested thought with conclusions already reached to which you are only required to assent. That's not concentration or reason, it's indoctrination, and you've already been defeated if you mistake that process for actual deep reading. Reading critically with your full concentration can be a more creative process than the writing of the book you're reading. We can surpass the writer of the book by discerning the value of his or her text, where the author made hubristic errors, and what can be added to supplement his or her text. For this reason, the discipline of book reviews and publications is a recognized literary art in and of itself. For example, Levis believed that deep reading of the novels of D.H. Lawrence, our own favorite being The Plumed Serpent, 
puts the reader in touch with organic emotions and vernacular spoken language that inculcates in us what it means to be human, and thus it sets a standard in contrast to the debased electroshock simulacra represented by twilight language, which sparks us along a trajectory which we see employed on behalf of the profit motive by the leading American advertising agencies whose twilight language acumen is evident. At this pause, this point, we pause to remind you that revisionisthistory.org and this podcast, Michael Hoffman's Revisionist History, are supported by the purchases of our books, our CDs, our newsletters, as well as outright donations to our truth mission. You can send those or place your order at Independent History and Research, Box 849, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, 83816, or access our website at www.revisionisthistory.org. If you wish to make the best effort to be free of manipulation and mind control, you should undertake, I think, a plan of reading about how best to read, as well as reading, then afterward, the canonical writers of the West. Therefore, I recommend to you the book by F. R. Levis from 1975, titled The Living Principle, English as a Discipline of Thought. Then proceed to a survey of the whole sweep of deep thought and reading across the history of the West as expounded by Marshall McLuhan in his indispensable volume, The Classical Trivium, The Place of Thomas Nash in the Learning of His Time. And trivium is spelled T-R-I-V-I-U-M. The Classical Trivium, the place of Thomas Nash, Nash is spelled with an E, N-A-S-H-E, in the learning of his time. Ultimately, these endeavors bring us to the question of that which cannot be expressed, the ineffable. The pioneers of psychedelics in the 1960s encountered this when on their extracerebral voyages, they reached a condition in which they could not speak and were beyond speech, and this has been variously described as the mystical state of the saints. But what developed from this was too often the polar opposite of what the saints experienced in the aftermath. The hippie movement came back down to earth and re-entered to proclaim the futility of language and to engage in its crude reduction in the grunts and groans of the lower order of popular music often termed rock and roll, and I do not intend this to be a blanket condemnation of the entire genre. Nonetheless, the hippie psychedelic experience collectively derogated the verbal as had been known prior to the 1960s. They had stumbled upon the ineffable, and in their hubris and ignorance, imagine they had invented the exploration and the experience of a sense of loss when re-entering the realm of spoken and written language. Yet the Apostle Paul, St. Teresa of Avila, and T.S. Eliot, these three having spanned 2,000 years of Western history, engaged in the paradox of translating that which was beyond words into a theme. They made us aware of the phenomenon, this other state of consciousness, while reflecting the essential first knowledge of our civilization, and I quote, in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh. By this means, the ineffable was incarnated, and it is in the presence of this mystery that our civilization extended 
that paradoxical consciousness. John Peter, in his 1949 essay on poet T.S. Eliot's play entitled The Family Reunion, his eponymous play, stated of Eliot's play, The Family Reunion, quote, the theme of the play is unsayable. Consequently, it can only be stated obliquely. It was unsayable, couldn't be said. Consequently, it can only be stated obliquely. In the course of reviewing the play, he touches on a function of twilight language. Quote, the technique Eliot uses is the unfocusing of what one may presume to be a concrete personal experience until only its abstract pattern is perceived, with the concomitant superimposition of this pattern upon a different and fictitious aggregate of facts. End quote from John Peter in his 1949 essay, The Family Reunion. The last book we wish to recommend for your study of the science and art of reading is by T.S. Eliot's editor, colleague, and friend Ezra Pound in his book Guide to Culture, and Pound spells culture K-U-L-C-H-U-R, Guide to Culture. Well, when you've served your apprenticeship in those books, your readings of St. Paul, Cicero, Christopher Marlowe, John Donne, Jonathan Swift, Edward Gibbon, Samuel Johnson, Charles Dickens, they will all ground you in what should be your first love and your last resort, the printed page and the spoken word. And perhaps then you will obtain a better grasp of our book Twilight Language so that its thesis that neuro-linguistic programming and naming through the timing of the expression of words triggering archetypes set to be expressed in spaces of primal memory and ritual significance, conspire to manifest the constituent element of psychodrama, which is the higher objective of many of the killings and catastrophes that bedevil us. Connected to this is clear evidence of a conspiracy on the part of our own authorities to enable or even actually commit these ritual murders and then years later reveal what they have actually perpetrated. This creates the psychological state in which postmodernist America finds itself today, terrorized and then stupefied by the mind-numbing voluntary revelations from the perpetrators themselves in their process of first freezing and then later thawing the facts. Facts which display to us the depth of their almost inconceivable treachery and iniquity, and which they don't mind that we know. Such is the state of impotence to which they believe they have reduced us. In the face of the revelation of their method, we descend deeper into a state of sleepwalking to protect ourselves from the wakefulness which would demand action were we to respond in a fully human, vitally alive, and healthy manner to the fact of highly placed criminals in our midst who slaughter the innocent and are intent on rotting our minds by means of the language and symbolism of psychic control. Their psychodrama has initiated us into a land of make-believe, where we imagine that even if things are somewhat in decline, this is still America, not the land of enchantment, as it is printed on vehicle license plates in New Mexico, 
The consequences of our participation in this make-believe is our continued brutalization and decomposition. The most expressive and compact articulation of what the Rosicrucian secret society mobilized 400 years ago and which is reaching its apotheosis now is expressed in the Latin maxim solve at coagula, which translates as breakdown and rebuild. Our breakdown is nearly complete, and the rebuilding, sometimes termed social engineering, is well underway, and our controllers impart to us the hypnotic suggestion that this dreadful state of affairs is inevitable, our refusal useless, and our passive acquiescence virtuous. Psychological warfare at the highest level is conducted by means of the induction of schizophrenia into a target population. I quote now from page 39 of our book, Twilight Language. This sense of hidden rulers behind the figurehead presidents and prime ministers has bored deep into the consciousness of the American people. At the start of century 21, the attack on the New York Towers and the District of Columbia Pentagon constitute an electrifying, lightning-like revelation that always accompanies the disruption of mundane routine when overturned by sudden chaos and explosive realignment. In the presence of this overthrow, the reaction in the percipient is a burst of momentary X-ray-like perception, illuminating what was hidden by glimpsing it in a flash of insight, such as was experienced at ground zero at the site of the first atomic incineration. The shocking perception is subsequently suppressed and denied through the chatter of innumerable talking head spin doctors who impose approved solutions and so-called expert explanations. Hence, slowly and inexorably, excruciating tension builds between the public world of the suit and tie solvers and explainers with their phonograph record parroting of the restricted official line and the serious B side of the record, that's serious spelled S-I-R-I-U-S, the serious B side of the record with its shadows and specters which hint at the dark truth about the towering inferno on 9-11 in New York City and the wounded Pentagon in the District of Columbia and for that matter, the wounded head of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. A population torn between these two extremes may be said to mirror the psychiatric state termed bipolar. I'm Michael Hoffman. Thank you for joining me today. My book, Twilight Language, is available through our website, www.revisionisthistory.org, and you can write to us at Independent History and Research, Box 849, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, 83816. Today's broadcast is copyright 2023, all rights reserved. <laughs>